The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it is the final countdown. We are just hours away from legal weed in Canada. So why are pot stocks getting crushed? The Dean Evaluation will be here to explain. Plus, we're all over the after hours action. Netflix, IBM, United, CSX, all reporting earnings moments ago. We'll have Wall Street's first reactions as well as instant analysis on the after hours moves throughout the hour. But first, we start off with stocks going wild. That is right. Everything is awesome Sarah again. <laughs> the Dow surging nearly 550 points as stocks snap back from last week's sell-off after a number of strong earnings reports. All 11 S&P 500 sectors were in the green, led by tech, healthcare, both up 3%. Stocks closing right near the session highs. So, is the worst over for the market? Is the bull run back on track, guy? Before I answer that, is that a computer-generated? Is that an yeah, actual person real, singing that? Come on, that's these not, are real that's people Sarah singing Teagan. a real Lego song, movie, guy. Is that that Chrissy Teigen sister? Yeah, Chrissy Teigen, whatever. Fantastic. Yeah. We just listen Maybe. to it. It's, it's fantastic. Can you it's just speak amazing. at the same time? Look, oh. if you'd said to me. G-Swizzle, tomorrow the market's going to move 500 points. You can say, Gee, the market's going to move 500 points tomorrow. Which way? Given yesterday's close, I would have said categorically 500 points lower. And here we are, 550 points higher, which goes to prove day to day there's no, there's no way to figure this out. For the bulls, they will say, we stopped dead at the 200-day moving average in the S&P. The bull market is still intact. I'm still more skeptical. You heard Morgan Stanley last night. I still think there's downside. But you can't argue with the fact that this market did everything it needed to do technically on the downside, held, and is now bouncing. What do you think? I think it made a series, as we talked about yesterday, real quick, series of higher lows. That was bullish for the market. Netflix, the best indicator of where we're going into year end, momentum versus value. I'm on the side of momentum. I'd stay there. Is this all a technically driven market? I mean, all the things that we were explaining away, the, the downside to last week, most of, the, most of those things are still intact. Yeah, I, I, the Fed I, worries intact. I mean, rates have abated a little bit, but still. There, there, is, there is zero in, in the form of, I think, a bright light in terms of the China trade tariffs. I think rates are probably uh, range-bound to higher. Um, the Fed, if anything, you know, borders on being a little bit more hawkish here. Look, we had some good news in Europe. The, the Italians seem to have balanced their budget or at least given you something on a, on a range of uh, debt to GDP that makes the European Union happy. Um, I, I think there are... The same factors that are at large here, it's nice to actually have earnings take center stage because, frankly, uh, companies are doing very well. But I think the valuation dynamics, uh, a market where the multiple should continue, I think, to compress in this environment, weighs over the market. Karen? I always like to look at the earnings. I mean, to me, you know, we get in these pockets where there's no earnings. And so we were there for, I don't know, uh, uh, until last Friday. And to me, their earnings have been really, really good. Today we'll talk about a number of them really good. And the guidance has been 
much better feels this week than last week. So I, I don't know. Is the worst over? Maybe. I think, you know, in the short term, yes. Who, I, I think that the, the market at this multiple with these earnings is good to own. Well, okay. All the worries that we talked about, tariffs, trade, et cetera, the Fed, they all exist. So with earnings coming in better than we expect, or at least in line, does that set up for that seasonal lift higher? It's encouraging, without question. Karen's right. I mean, it, it does come down to earnings, but I still think the headwinds that we talk about all the time, they didn't go away. They didn't magically go away today. We're no closer to a deal with China. We're no closer to uh, the rate story being somehow fixed. I mean, I think of anything, you saw the jolts number today, which is probably the reason why the market was up 500 points, just gives the Fed some credibility to continue to move forward, which is a reason why we were selling off to a lot of people's book in the first place. So although earnings have been good, markets don't necessarily sell off because earnings are, you know, but, but you had is, but is that an earnings story necessarily that's going to To speak to the seasonality yet. of it, you had hedge funds on average down 3% going into October. Uh -huh. The first week on average, in the first week of October, they lost over 4%. So what does that There mean has to now? be a chase for performance going into so year end. So they're going to be indiscriminately buying, putting money to Not indiscriminately, but you have to go to higher. wherever you think you're going to get the bounce. And with uh -huh. Netflix report today, so, uh, I would say that they probably chase those names. But bounce is, is the operative word. I, I just think this comes down to positioning. And, and, and where we were going into this, this, this sell-off was that you had complacency at level highs. We hadn't really been back to this level of positioning since January. And then we went to extreme oversold. And we talked about that nine-day RSI at 9.7. That was lowest we'd seen on the S&P since 2001. So how oversold were we dramatically uh, at a time when you can't necessarily see the China trade uh, rolling into the numbers? We're not going to see the impact of China trade in the numbers probably until, uh, I would think, December at best. And, and therefore, I think a lot of this has just been a mirage for people. But to me, it's all about positioning and sentiment. I don't think the sky is falling. Uh, I just think that the market is fairly valued at a time when everything we just said earlier in the show, a guy talked about, we, talk, we all talk about it. Um, to come on tonight when the market is up 500 points uh, or 2% on the S&P and feel like it's gone away is, would be disingenuous. Okay, so let me ask you this. Do you sell into this rally? I mean, are we that, no. you know, are we questioning this rally to the point where you say, you know what, maybe use this bounce to take some profits? Well, I've seen this act before without question. We talked about this last week, mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, every time it seems like it's over its skis and about to collapse, something happens and bails it out. And this is a movie we've seen over and over again. So can this last a couple more days? Absolutely. But I will still say... I think in terms of the headwinds that the market was scared about a week ago, they haven't gone away. The headwinds have not gone away, but just think about the tailwinds that are coming back. So we had the black, uh, buyback blackout. Now we have earnings. We're going to get the buybacks back. And you could argue that it's 20 to 30 percent of the tailwind in the overall market as far as buybacks. So you're going to have multiple tailwinds going into year end. Yeah. I, I just think that um, maybe we're all saying this, but if I look at the DAX, if I look at the MSCIEM, so the EEM, they're all basically trading. You've got as, as 2 or 3% up to a trend line that's been straight down since you know, effectively January. And until you break out of that range, that's where you are. So you can chase for 1% or 2%, but your, your, your market call here tells me that I don't think you have a lot to do here in terms of chasing it significantly higher. So what trades do you stick with going into the end of the year? I mean, if we are to use this guide, I mean, did you see the Bank of America Merrill Lynch Fund Manager Survey? A record... Uh, Record high, record high number of managers were skeptical of growth, right, right? since 2007. The most crowded trade, long thang and bat stocks, short treasuries. So the same playbook that most people have been in the whole year right up through October. Is that the ticket you want to use? Well, to, to me, the places I feel most comfortable are in names that have multiples that are defendable here. And I would go also to the energy sector and even the commodity sector. I mean, if we've got inflation, we're seeing asset price, asset price inflation. And a lot of these energy companies are 
delivering free cash flow, have free cash flow yields, integrated names like Chevron and, and Royal Dutch Shell that we haven't seen in these companies in a couple decades. So this, to me, is a safe place to play at a time I don't think energy's so falling off the, the table. The move to value. You like growth, though. So, so I do like growth, but if you have a growth get hit by 30 or 40 percent or, or 20 percent, I think those are the names where you could make that up in a matter of months. All right. Now to an earnings alert here. The market is awesome. And so is everything over at Netflix, apparently. Check out shares of the streaming giant going parabolic in the after-hour session. It is now up 12%. Are we, we going to hear this song all, all night. night long? Take a look at that That's chart. Disappointing. Our own Julia Borson is outside of Netflix headquarters in Los Gatos, California. Julia. Well, Melissa, it was Netflix's subscriber beat that is sending the stock flying higher right now. It says better than expected subscriber numbers in the third quarter, as well as guidance for far better than expected numbers in the fourth quarter that is in focus, especially as we head into the earnings call. CEO Reed Hastings said in his letter to shareholders that they underestimated strong growth across all markets, including Asia. Now, on the video call that starts in about an hour, analysts are sure to probe for more details on what is driving that customer acquisition. The other big question is how much the company plans to spend on content next year after growing its content spend to as much as $8 billion this year. We're also watching to see what CEO Reed Hastings says about the host of new competitors. AT&T and Disney both launching new services next year. And in his letter to shareholders, Hastings said that amid these competitors, his job is to make Netflix stand out. Media veteran Barry Diller weighed in on Netflix and what he says is a competitive advantage in an interview with CNBC's Andrew Ross Sorkin earlier today. Take a listen. They have such a lead that there is nobody that is going to compete with them at that level. Doesn't mean other people aren't going to have, let's call it successful streaming services of 20 or 30 million. But to think that you can invest whatever you think you could invest and ever get up into their numbers is kind of a fool's errand. We'll see what Hastings has to set about all those rivals, especially Amazon, spending much more on content. That video call will be streamed on YouTube and it starts at 6 p.m. Eastern. Guys, back over to you. Julia, Karen's got a question for you. So, you know, those are such blowout numbers. I don't know what made the streets start taking numbers down, I don't know, yesterday, two days ago. Do you think that analysts are just going to start re-rating the stock now up tonight as quickly as they can? Well, I think a lot's going to depend on what Hastings says on the earnings call. Now, remember, last quarter, it was a disappointment. The numbers fell short of expectations. And there was a lot of talk about whether last quarter was an indication that things are just slowing down in general or whether last quarter was a blip. And I think what we're seeing now in terms of the stock, which does have a history of swinging wildly in one direction or the other after earnings, that last quarter really does seem to have been a blip. And, um, and this quarter, we're seeing that, that growth pick up again. But I do think that, you know, this is a stock that's always very volatile after those numbers come out, and, and we'll see what happens after Hastings weighs in on the call. All right, Julia, thanks. Julia Borson outside of Netflix headquarters in Los Gatos. Uh, to Karen's point, Morgan Stanley today cutting the price target, Raymond James cutting it on Monday, Goldman Sachs cutting the price target on Friday. And obviously, by the way, the stock had been down about 19% from its highs going into earnings. So the setup for this quarter was a very different setup compared to the last quarter. Yeah, Steve talked about that, and we actually talked about it as well over the last couple of weeks. Listen, last quarter, the July quarter, when the stock was 4-0-something, I thought it would continue to move higher. I thought the quarter was going to be fine dead wrong. When it traded down 30 bucks, we said, all right, here's a stock that's going to retest the level we broke out from in March, 306. That's pretty much what happened. 
Now Netflix finds itself in a period where it has to prove itself yet again, and that means it's got to retake that 425 level we last saw back in July or so. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. Listen, these analysts might be right. I still think there's some room on the upside, but now the stock, which held on the downside, has to prove itself on the upside. Does this give the rally legs tomorrow? Um, Particularly amongst it the certainly, momentum stocks. It, it certainly helps. I mean, look, let's face it. I mean, people have been handsomely rewarded in Netflix to the tune of 80% this year. Um, I, I just, you know, back to the stock, though, I, I just feel like it's the same story. We have a dynamic here. Um, and I heard this, you know, heard this on the call. There was a, a, a statement, something along the lines of investors need to have the same kind of confidence in the investment we're making, the huge investment we're making in content as they've had in the past. In other words, they've been rewarded. So don't be surprised by this number. People are kind of hoping that 2018 was peak cash burn. Uh, I don't think it's even close. I think the content slate for the fourth quarter is still very important. So you know where I stand on the stock. Th this has to be show, huge for. I, I'm not that convinced. This has to be huge for Fang in particular. So when you look at all those names, Facebook is a, is a thing unto itself. There could be the privacy issues there. That's an animal unto itself. Amazon, though, should rally aggressively on this into their earnings because I cannot see them missing. He's going to have well, a blowout I quarter. I mean, they're in different businesses. He's going to turn I've... spigots on and off whenever he wants. And I think at this point, with the stock being down so much into it, it almost sets up perfectly. Guy had a great call technically on Amazon. When you see this much devastation on the charts going into earnings, what are you playing for if you're a short seller of Amazon? But you, you have to really cover. You say they can turn the spigots on and off. I mean, does, does that mean that they will listen to a Netflix earning? And I don't think they're saying this. But no, I, mean, I think, the point it, is I you, think it sparks saying, momentum. They feel the need now. to actually report something this quarter. I don't think Jeff Bezos has ever. Well, I think after name. a grind that his stock has had going into year end, I think that he wants to show everyone that you have to cover that stock. And it's not going to be like an Elon Musk where he's going to murder the shorts. But I think he has something to prove. That stock is in the short term. I mean, I, I'm surprised you think that he watches the stock in the short term. I'm surprised, I, I, you, I'm surprised you don't think he does. I really don't. I think, you know. So I'm not talking about You think he's not watching day. Fast Money right I, now? I, I'm not talking about every day, but any CEO that's not yeah. watching a quarter, not getting set up for a quarter, you better sell that stock. And Jeff Bezos is not I the type of guy that, at all. that is not. At all. Jeff any, Bezos, okay. anyone who tells you they're not watching their stock is a liar. Amazon, by the way, is up one and a quarter percent after hours. With Netflix soaring after hours, it is time for instant reaction to Netflix earnings. Let's go off the charts with tradinganalysis.com founder Todd Gordon. Todd, Todd you went in. Short Netflix, right? Yeah, we were just talking about it. It, it, it. General consensus is just it's been weak. It's been underperformer. Um, the hard red edge of the chart is is the, you know, where buyers and sellers agree it's valued. And basically, I played the short side. I played the expected move. The option markets were pricing a $35 move higher or lower. I had a defined risk option trade on. It went the other side. We went out at about 350 to make it even. Add 35, that's ugly. Add 35 bucks, effectively, we're at the expected move in terms of where option markets see it. We're back to the old October, to the October high, so we're at resistance. Um, is it the, are we out of the woods? I'm not quite sure. Let's just put it in context here. This is Netflix over the last couple of years, just a beautifully defined uptrend channel here. As you move towards the upper end of the channel, this is overbought. We continue to be overbought. We could go up and try to retest these up upper areas. But again, the stock is not, I don't think, is going to break out of this uptrend channel. So we might see some short-term strength, but it's still overbought. I was playing for a move back down to this beautifully defined uptrend channel. So this is the weekly chart. And as we get down to the next chart, this is going to be the daily. And you're going to see, okay, fine. We're back up at these old ranges. 
this leaves us still very much kind of in the middle of this, this channel in Netflix. I have a hard time believing that all this underperformance, one number is going to break this underperformance out, and we're just going to go to new highs. I'm, I'm wrong in the trade, but I'm still not buying it. I do think with a little bit more participation with the broader market, we still might go down and test those lower levels. I just can't get behind it yet. Um, looking at the overall NASDAQ, though, this is very constructive. Again, kind of that same principle that we've looked at over the last three years. Beautiful uptrend channel here. And if you were to get inside of this right here, this is lower support. If you were to draw a candlestick, right, there's four parts of a candle. There's the open, there's the high, there's the close, and there's the low. If you could get the body of this candle inside of here, that would say that, okay, fine, it's supported. This candlestick tried to break below this, uh, this support here. We're back above it. It's showing that support remains intact. As the NASDAQ could continue up towards those upper levels, I would say we tried to break through that support, but the candles are closing back above. So looks like we might need to look on the long side of this, uh, this tech market. In terms of the setup for Netflix, Todd, the fact that it was down about 20 percent, 19 percent or so from its 52-week high, um, the longer it's below that 52-week high and the deeper it is below, is that the, the worst? longer the base guy? Mm, In terms yeah. of the setup, sort of similar to that, sort of to, to that thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, it just looks like they've been beaten down in the subscriber growth for so long. The, the market was heavily short. I bought into it. I think a lot of people were short. And perhaps this is a combination of, again, those numbers were pretty impressive, really impressive, in fact. Um, perhaps those, those shorts are saying, forget it, covering. Maybe it's more like a, the bull market, sort of this rally that we've seen in technology today in the overall market. Does the market crash 500 points higher? No, there's a lot of emotions that are coming into those shorts, locking those profits, locking in maybe those gains, but getting out. So when you see a market just rip higher like this in Netflix and in the overall market, maybe in the near-term bear market rally. All right, Todd, thanks. We'll see you later in the show. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. Let me ask you a question, Guy. If this stock moved lower by 12% on very heavy volume on the back of a disappointing earnings report, would your analysis of the stock in terms of where it stays be any different from it being up 12% maybe in tomorrow's session on very heavy volume? So, so saying if, instead of being where we are now, if Netflix retested that level we saw back in the spring, then I would say it's a, I would be in sort of in Todd's camp, broken stock, we're going to blow through that 305 level on the downside and test levels we haven't probably seen in a year or so. And, I'm, you know, again, in terms of the fundamentals of the company, if you were skeptical on the balance sheet and cash flow, this quarter did nothing right. to, to – it gave you more ammunition, not less ammunition, to be concerned. So the concerns for Netflix haven't gone away. This was the quarter I thought they would report. Last – you know, in July, it happened now. It needs to retake that 423 level. Otherwise, we might wind up being where Todd thinks it's going. All right. More on Netflix throughout the hour. In fact, check out some of the other after-hours movers that we are uh, tracking for you. Called the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, nice. CSX, great, great both movie. higher. IBM, uh, that's tanking. We'll get the latest take. Oh, actually, IBM turned around. That's a story in and of itself, a turnaround Again for IBM after-hours. We'll see what Wall Street's <laughs> saying about the quarter. Plus, pot stocks taking center stage as Canada is just hours away from legalizing marijuana. The Dean evaluation has a surprising take on the cannabis craze and what those stocks are really worth. And later, the bull market mystery, the one group of stocks that should be surging, is sitting out the rally. We'll explain why and what it could mean for the market. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast when you hear the music, you know what it means. No time, time for an earnings whip, transport style. Check out shares of United and CSX, both higher after hours. We've got full team coverage. Phil LeBeau's in Orlando on United. Seema Modi's on CSX back at headquarters. Phil, we start off with you and United. Melissa, I think analysts are going to like what they see with the United earnings and the guidance for the fourth quarter. I just got off the phone with Andrew Davis. He is the airline analyst from T. Rowe Price, has covered this company, covered this industry for a number of years. He said, look, this was a really good quarter. In particular, the, he thinks that most analysts are going to be impressed with the fourth quarter PRASM guidance. That's passenger revenue per available seat mile. The guidance for the fourth quarter from United up 3 to 5%. He says, look, most analysts were probably expecting it to be closer to 3%. So they're going to be impressed that they're going to be expecting greater than 3%. He summarized everything by saying, look, the strategy appears to be working. The strategy of adding more flights, more seats from smaller cities to United Hubs. That's driving greater revenue. We're going to be talking with United CEO Oscar Munoz tomorrow morning exclusively on Squawk Box. We'll be at the UAL headquarters in Chicago. We'll talk with Oscar about the strategy working, the fourth quarter guidance, and where United goes from here. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Phil LeBeau. Uh, let's talk airlines. I go to you, airline holders. Tim, why don't you kick it off? Well, United to me is probably the weakest of the three in terms of the expectations on fundamentals. And I think the call tomorrow is very important because that's been an important time for the stock many different times. I think if you look at sentiment quarter over quarter from where we were at the end of the second quarter, um, sentiment is significantly improved and these stocks are near their highs. I think people are overly concerned about energy prices. I think the capacity cuts are what are going to drive this and discipline there is what people want to hear. And this is the, just the latest data point of the airlines that have actually been pretty right. good. We saw Delta yeah. was good. The chasm here was pretty good. The cost. Chasm. That was important. Cost for available, available seat mile. Mile. That Thank was you. good. We're doing our acronyms tonight. Jet fuel prices had been such a headwind, and yet still they were able to, you know, with the revenue going up, they were able to get some leverage there. So that was good. There's a lot to like here. They still stick by their 2020 $11 to $13 yep. EPS. Right. And so by this time next year, the market will be looking at 20 earnings. And what's the multiple we should have on 20 earnings? And it doesn't take a huge multiple. Now, these things are cheap. I mean, yeah. for, for an economy that, you know, I know we're questioning the market, but we're not necessarily questioning where GDP growth is. And airlines are absolutely levered to that in, in the business cycle. All right. From planes to trains, now over to Seema Modi for the latest on CSX. Back at headquarters, Seema. Hey, Melissa. So two major factors helping CSX deliver a strong report. Aggressive cost cutting plus higher prices for moving freight. On the earnings call, CSX executives said pricing environment is very good and that customers are moving more back to the railroad. Crescent Wealth says this earnings report from CSX suggests that domestic growth remains on track despite tariff threats and higher interest rates. Now, shares of CSX are higher by 2.5% after hours and are now up over 30% this year, vastly outpacing its peers, Union Pacific and Kansas City Southern, which both report later this week. And analysts at Susquehanna before this earnings report said that CSX is trading at about 17 times 2019 earnings and it has the potential to continue its outperformance if it's able to maintain 
growth in volumes. CSX did get caught in that wide base sell-off that we saw last week. Melissa, but it is recovering nicely here after hours. Back to you. All right, Seema, thanks. Seema yeah. Modi back at headquarters. Do we like railroads? Well, Kansas City Southern's the most expensive one, but I think that's one that's giving the most beta. UNP, NSC, CSX, they all trade somewhere between 17 and 17 and a half times next year's earnings. CSX went sideways for three months around 75, which you could say we're right there now. In my book, it's got to close above 75 to take the next leg higher. I'd rather sell it here than to try to play it for the breakout. I think you're playing stock market here and you're flipping a coin. I think when you look at NAFTA, NAFTA 2.0, whatever you wanted to call it, that was a lot of noise in these charts. Mm -hmm. CXX is the outperformer. I'd probably stay there. Um, what does this say about the uh, U.S. economy? And if you had worries about the economy, and here we are, a couple of good data points out of the airline industry, good quarter out of CSX. These are the transports. If you believe in Dow theory, this should theoretically right. be a good sign. Well, uh, there's a little bit of uh, idiosyncratic to CSX here, mm -hmm. but there's a broader story there as well. The economy's really doing well. We've heard in the last few months about transportation costs being high for those looking to right. ship goods. It's not so shocking that their cost, their, their revenue rather, was higher. But I think it's a good read to the economy. Yeah. Uh, look at the pricing. Pricing for the rails has been increasing over the first three quarters of the year. And I think that is really the trend of where their business is. FedEx, I talked about this last night. I think FedEx is the way to play a lot of this stuff because they, they really are the ultimate talent transport. All right, still ahead. Sticking with earnings, IBM reporting earnings moments ago. The stock is down nearly 5%. I misspoke earlier when I said it turned around. That was a during the session chart that we showed. This is the uh, actual chart in the after hour session, down 5%. We'll tell you what the CFO just said about blockchain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Smoking! And that's what they'll be doing tomorrow in Canada once it's legal to buy pot. But the Dean Evaluation says you may want to pass on grass stocks. He'll explain. Plus, talk about a bank job. This is a robbery. The market is surging. The economy's soaring. So why are a number of bank stocks tanking? We've got the answer, and we'll tell you what it means for the market when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are just hours away from a key moment in Canada. Weed will be legalized across the land of our neighbor to the north. But check out the move in pot stocks today. Kronos, Canopy, Tilray, Aurora all getting hit. So will the event in Canada end up being a sell the news event? Looks like it, Tim. What do you think? 
I, I think you have a lot of different dynamics. The, the Canadian LPs, the big integrated companies up there, are not cheap on any multiple. There are some that are cheaper than others. Uh, obviously, I don't think we know the, the global total addressable market. That's one of the things that uh, I think the bulls are going to say. You have no idea what consumption trends are and where this ultimately goes. What's really happening right now, if you look at the market today, those big LPs sold off hard. Then names like MedMen was higher. Charlotte's Web was higher. So U.S. over Canada is the trade right now. Old school versus new school. U.S. valuations are significantly cheaper, and this is a function of the capital markets. This is not necessarily, necessarily where a better companies being made. Bottom line here, the industry is starting to split and become more sophisticated. What I mean by that, you know, Pfizer, if they're coming in this industry, they're totally different than Diageo or totally different than, God forbid, Procter & Gamble. The point is, these verticals are taking shape, and this market it needs to take a breath. And so it wouldn't be a surprise that you sell the news. But you, you can't paint every stock with the same brush right now. And fortunately, even today's price action, you saw which companies are actually the newer flavors of the month significantly outperforming. All right. Well, our next guest says pot stocks are simply too pricey here. Let's welcome back the dean of valuation, Aswat Damodaran, the finance professor at NYU. Um, professor, thanks so much for joining us once again. I read your latest blog on the valuation of these stocks, and it sounds like you're extremely skeptical about this whole space. Uh, I think that there is a basis for the pricing, which is that the market's going to be big. I think we can concede that it's going to be a big market. The problem I have with any of these companies is none of them are compelling enough stories. And that's all you have right now. The numbers are not there. You're buying a story. None of the companies that I see out there are compelling enough stories that I would jump onto that story and say, that's what I'm going to ride to make money on this market. So when you take a look at the potential uses when it comes to medical, when it comes to recreational, when it comes to nutraceuticals, consumer products, et cetera, it's just simply too early to say the potential market for each of these sectors is X, and that means this company should be valued at Y? I think it's not too early to make a judgment about the overall market, especially on the medical side. I think it's a little too early to decide which of the companies that's out there, if any, if any of them, is going to be the company that benefits from that trend. Because let's face it, there are going to be more companies coming into the space, and they don't have to be part companies. Many conventional companies are going to jump into this business as we go along. One reason I think U.S. companies have held back is because of the fact that you have this two-level regulation, one at the state level, where nine states allow it for recreational purposes, and one at the federal level. Until we resolve that, U.S. companies are going to be handicapped. Okay, so you're saying right now not to buy even the ETF, um, and also the companies that are related to pot but may not be a direct pot stock, such as a GW Pharma and a Scott's miracle Grow, they have been swept up in this whole pot mania. You don't like those either. I, 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 but I'm closer to buying those than I would mm -hmm. uh, to be buying pot stocks. I think Scott Miracle Grove, 20% lower. I'd be inclined to add it to my portfolio. It's a small play, but it's still a much more promising play for me. It's Karen. Let me ask you something. I read your piece, which I thought was great, by the way. Um, you talk about perhaps some disappointment in, in if states do more states legalize pot, that actually it won't grow as quickly as the market might think. Do you talk a little I mean, more, I, more about that? I'm speaking from the experience of being in California, where pot was legalized on January 1st of 2018. And what people have been noticing in this market is that the legal market continues to exist, partly because <clears throat> legal weed is so much more expensive than illegal weed here. So I have a feeling that those people are expecting the minute that the weed is legalized, that the illegal market will cease to exist. 
are really not, you know, they're, they're missing the point. I think this is going to be a market where it's going to be a slow battle to win the market, even if it's legalized. So when you see a Canopy, excuse me, as Constellation Brands investing an additional $4 billion in a company like Canopy Growth, what does that say anything about Constellation Brands in terms of uh, their valuation or maybe where their stock should be trading? In fact, if you think about it, tobacco and alcohol stocks, are, uh, companies are perhaps best suited to get into the space, especially the recreational space, partly because they know this business. They've been regulated. They've been selling essentially the equivalent of sin products. So they're actually well suited to enter this area. And I would expect more entry into this space if, in fact, the laws and regulations start to ease up. So, Aswat, just last question here. I mean, Let's say these stocks across the board were cut in half. It sounds almost like there's no real way of pinning that valuation because the potential is so unquantifiable at this point that it's very difficult to put any valuation on a stock. And it's a trading game right yeah. now. And this is not uncommon, right? Early in a business, it's all about the pricing which means you're going to, it's, it's going to be built on mood and momentum and incremental information and trivial pieces of news are going to move the stock all over the place. So if you're an investor, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have a strong stomach to stick through this market. But I think there will be a time when, in fact, you will be able to get into the market. My suggestion is to stay out for the moment. All right. Aswath, thanks so much for your time. We always appreciate your analysis, Aswath, to in. A professor at NYU. Uh, before you get a final word on this, I just want to note that Tim Seymour is all in on this space. He's long a number of names, also sits on advisory boards for three cannabis stocks. And for all of Tim's disclosures, you can go to fast.cnbc.com. So. Sounds like one of those arthritis commercials. Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. does. Not easy to do. Scroll up above me. Yeah. You should play soft music. Um, his point is an interesting one. My question is, why can we say that Tesla has a first-mover advantage and Netflix has a first-mover advantage and not care about their valuations? When we argue that actually it's really be, it's about a land grab, it's about but going then, out there. But then why don't a, you like Tesla? I well, mean, if you can suspend the valuation <laughs> argument here, for why. pot, why not Tesla? Here's why. Because I actually think that, first of all, Tesla has enormous competitive forces around it. Um, I think Tesla can't. I don't think they can ramp up. I think they have operational challenges. I think there's fantastic operators in the cannabis space that are proving they're making money in an environment where they were not banked, where they had everything going against them. And I think actually that's what's Is, is what's it the same, though, when you take a look at a Tilray versus an Aurora versus a Canopy for the other producers who, who you know, it's, it's about cost of production per ounce, right? Something like that. I mean, when it comes down to it. And so why isn't that competition the same that Tesla's facing from BMW and Mercedes? I, I mean, I'm not there's a saying lot of competition. that you should there's I, gonna I be just think that there's going to be it's not the, only the, cost the pricing. Of, it's not only cost per ounce, it's cost per gram, but the problem is okay. the potency. So you can not argue. About that. I think it's, it's not about pricing, though. Brands no, 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 are being I, built. Tim, I'm, Tim, being Tim, built. Tim, I'm, I'm taking talking, your side. Steve. I'm taking right, your fine. side. Keep talking. I'm taking your side. What the problem is, it's not about the cost per gram. It's about the potency. So you could have one that's a cheaper cost, but doesn't have as much THC as the next one. It, it, it's the wrong it's, metrics to look at it. Okay, that's fine. Then I can say, oh, you know, Tesla's performance is better, the charge is longer, et cetera. I mean, there are all a million ways to slice and dice this, but the bottom line is they're both story, they're story stocks, and to some extent you have to suspend the, so, you know, the rigor when it comes to valuation to believe in these companies, no? I'm saying I think a lot of these companies are extremely expensive. I said that from day one. Right. I'm also saying that I think this is no different than people throwing all their money at Tesla and Netflix when I think those valuations are tough to justify. That's what I'm saying. All right, still ahead. Two big after hours movers, Netflix and IBM. IBM is sinking. That call is underway right now. Meantime, Netflix 
It's soaring, still up about 12%. That call kicks off in less than 30 minutes. We'll bring you everything you need to know. Plus, it is the bull market mystery. While stocks soar, a number of names that should be benefiting from the rally are getting crushed. What's that about? We will explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. BlackRock sinking today after reporting earnings. That stock now down 31% from its 52-week high and underscoring a key trend in the market. For more on that, let's bring in Mike Santoli, who's here for a rare appearance, a rare Fast Money appearance in the flesh. Why do we deserve this? Like voted onto the desk or invited or something? I don't know how it works. Like Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But this paradox in the market, uh, Melissa, obviously the asset management stocks, have been incredibly weak. The fundamentals haven't been great. And I know Larry Fink was talking about, even for a dominant franchise like theirs, some of the some of the challenges this morning. We saw huge movement from clients, right. a lot of churn. And it was just, uh, I think the markets are, are showing that, that investors are, are confused. But overall, be, be, because of uh, expense discipline, because of how we've navigated, our, our revenues were up 18% in our Aladdin business and our technology business. So overall, it was a good quarter, but I was disappointed in our right. net flows, but very explainable by um, some large de-risking. Yeah, and flows are not great across the industry, right? And I think that's just one of the factors that's really been hurting this group. Obviously, the global markets have been weak, so it's not as if everybody's been at record highs in the last month or something like that. But fee pressure, right? I mean, it's, and BlackRock's yeah. part of an instrument of that, but people don't see the end of it. So if you look at the stocks year to date, uh, you would never think that this has been uh, a U.S. bull market right now. It used to be they were the best bellwether group you could imagine. They're down between 20 and 40 percent. These are the big guys there. I basically see the market has decided that they're a disrupted group. Right, that this basically long-term traditional asset managers, long-only asset managers. I'm not saying they're right, but I think they believe that. You can only believe that, though, if you think that it, the markets are going to go one way or the other, right? I mean, I would imagine that in an environment where you think that value stocks may take precedent over growth stocks, that you know it's more time for a stock picker. Funds should see a benefit as opposed to ETFs and funds, of course, have higher fees. In theory, you should. Although the fee pressure is also getting to all types of actively managed products as well. So I do think that's one of the issues. The stocks are cheap. I mean, based on any historical metric in terms of how they have always traded, they used to be a premium to the market. Asset managers were considered kind of like owning a toll booth, you know, uh, and it's, it's actually not been the case anymore. So either the market has it wrong or something's changed. Well, let's broaden out real quick. Today, notwithstanding, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have been trading awful now for the last, well, the last yeah. year or so. Are they getting caught up in this as well? I mean, I think you could argue the market also thinks they're kind of disrupted or at least they're not levered the way they used to be to a strong market and a strong economy. Um, and by the way, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley in large part are asset managers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Goldman is like to emphasize the fact that Goldman Sachs asset management is a much bigger part of the mix than it ever was. So the market's not going to give them any credit for that in this environment. Mike, thank you. Okay. You're always welcome here. Yeah, you don't, don't need to be voted, voted on. Voted just bring yourself. Like as that. long as the hyperloop from uh, the New York <laughs> Stock Exchange can get me here. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Santoli. Well, options traders are betting on a bounce for one asset manager. Brian Stutland's joining us now from the CME in Chicago to break it down. Brian. Well, not BlackRock, but Blackstone. When we look at the put activity in there, it was pretty huge today. We're trading one and a half times that at calls in Blackstone. 
What's interesting is typically it's two times amount of calls versus puts, not puts being skewed the other way. So at first glance, it looks a little rough. But what we saw was a seller of 2,500 November 33 puts for 41 cents. They were selling insurance, not buying put insurance. And what that basically meant is the trader was picking a level that they're willing to get long the stock, basically break even at 32.59, capturing that 41 cents. And with earnings coming up here on Thursday for Blackstone, they're expecting about 40% year-over-year growth. This trader is basically saying if the stock drops after earnings, I'm willing to buy the stock down at that $33 level and play possibly to the upside, at least capture some premium here. I love this trade. If you want exposure to private equity, Blackstone's that's that area to get that private equity exposure. And I love this. And this kind of growth environment that we're still seeing, somewhat low interest rate environment, seems like a nice play. All right, Brian, thanks. Brian Stutland joining us from the CME in Chicago. For more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, check out shares of IBM sinking in the after-hour session. The company's CFO just said something very interesting about blockchain. We'll bring you those comments. Plus, a battle is brewing between Trump and Big Pharma as the White House puts pressure on the drug industry to change their TV ads. Could healthcare stocks be in trouble? We'll break it all down. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. IBM falling after hours on their earnings report. That call currently underway. This as the company's CFO had something interesting to say about blockchain. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco. Hey, Josh. Melissa, I did check in uh, for a hot take with CFRA's David Holt. He covers the name. Um, I'll give you his quick reaction to this print. He said um, that he actually liked what he saw with uh, IBM's global business services segment. Uh, revenue they're clocked in at $4.1 billion in the quarter. And that segment includes, for example, the consulting group. He said that segment did show some signs of stabilization in the quarter. Was, though, disappointed as an IBM bull in the lack of just overall company revenue growth and constant currency. RBC's Ahmad Daryanani also weighing in, uh, giving a hot take to his clients, saying modest revenue headwinds off set by impressive gross margin performance. Uh, Daryanani did note, of course, that uh, the full-year EPS and free cash flow guidance was maintained. So IBM continuing to hold to this bogey, calling for at least 1380 in EPS for the year. They're also still looking for free cash flow of about $12 billion. Company's CFO, Jim, Cavan Jim Cavanaugh, as you mentioned, uh, Mel, was on CNBC after the print, talked about the report, also did mention blockchain. Take a listen. We do have strong demand, and we're executing very well in our industry verticals, in security, and in emerging areas like blockchain, where we're embedding our Watson technologies for differentiation. And we've got great growth. For instance, Watson Health had a great quarter, and we grew across all of our segments, and we are scaling that business going forward. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton out in San Francisco um, with the latest on IBM. What do you think of this move here? In well, I mean, Steve has called this a secular short position. It is not, you know, you've had bounces along the way. People say valuation is cheap, but there's no earnings growth. And there's, quite frankly, you know, with the exception here and there, there's no revenue growth either. So at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what is IBM? This just continues to show you how strong a company, a Microsoft, for example, is, and how poor a company IBM is on the other side. Yeah, I mean, as a value stock, it hits all the right metrics. But if you think about, had they not been in the massive buyback business that they've been in over the last, yeah. I don't know how many years? 
earnings would be a lot worse. I think Guy hits it on the head. <laughs> Microsoft, though, has been able to turn it around, reinvent itself. IBM not able to do that. All right, still ahead. President Trump putting pressure on the pharma industry to change their TV ads. So which stocks have the most to lose? We will explain. Plus, let's get a sneak peek into the Mad Money studio with our Kramer camp. There you see Jim talking to the Domino CEO after that stock tanked on earnings today. You can catch a full interview, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Top of the hour, much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The battle between the Trump administration and Big Pharma heating up this week as the transparency of TV drug ads comes into question. Meg Terrell is here with more on the story. Hi, Meg. Hi, guys. Well, drug price or TV drug ads can be scary enough, as we've been talking about with all sorts of side effects. The list is as long as your arm. Now, the Trump administration wants drug companies to include the list price of their medicines in the TV drug ad itself, actually having in print at the bottom of the commercial what the list price, the sticker price before any discounts or insurance kicks in of that drug. Now, the pharmaceutical industry is not in favor of this. They actually came out with a proposal themselves yesterday, hours before the administration proposed this rule, saying, we'll direct to a website with some information about the list price and the discounts and the patient assistance that you can get there. Their argument is that the list price is not a real price that anybody pays. Uh, they say this could mislead patients about how much they'll pay for their drugs, which could actually determine deter patients from going to the doctor and seeking help or even trying to take these medications. They also say this might infringe on their First Amendment rights. But Secretary of Health Alex Azar was on Squawk Box this morning, and he addressed that list price argument, and he doesn't agree. Here's what he said. The problem is almost every single senior under Medicare pays the list price or a percent of list price on at least some of their drugs. 47% of Americans under the age of 65 have a high deductible health plan, and during that deductible, they're paying the list price. So I'm not buying the pharma talking point that list prices don't matter. They do matter. And the tone here coming from the administration is pretty fascinating. So he actually used to be a top executive at Eli Lilly. He really knows the ins and outs of the drug industry. And it looks like this might shape up to be a potential legal battle. But one analyst, Jeff Forges over at Leering, says this could actually be worse for another industry, our industry, the broadcast industry, because it may actually cause drug companies to stop mm -hmm. TV drug advertising altogether. Mm. That was $5.8 billion in revenue for broadcast networks last year. That's how much drug companies spent as a whole, according to Kantar. Uh, and in terms of the biggest advertisers, you've got Pfizer spending almost $500 million in the first half of 2018 alone, followed by AbbVie, Eli Lilly, uh, AstraZeneca, Novo Nordisk, um, all sorts of other companies. These guys spend a lot of money on this. And, you know, it might not be the drug companies that really get impacted here. It might be broadcast networks, TV. Wow. All right, Meg, thanks, Meg Terrell. <laughs> well, you. this, you know, comes at a very strange time because Tim and Guy here are actually starring in their own drug commercial, which was supposed to debut during the Super Bowl. But we do have a sneak peek. Take a listen. Do you go to bed and wake up in the morning? Well, now there's a cure for that. Lostrex. It's your key to everlasting happiness. It will rewire the neurons in your brain so that you can be the new you. Side effects include insomnia, heart arrhythmia, bleeding from the eyeballs, sudden urges to eat street food, the false belief you can talk to animals, magenta urine, and spontaneous singing of Beverly Sills songs. Consult your doctor and get Lostrex today and be the new you. 
Oh. And now I guess the administration wants to put the list price on that add-on. Half of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. no price you wouldn't pay, list or otherwise, for that kind of happiness. It's no? just, you know, it's tough it's, it's walking around Times Square with a good friend and, and just feeling some of these side effects. I mean, we're doing our best to keep it together, but... Uh, we're pitching what. that, by the way. I mean, it's highest bidder. I know the folks at Pfizer you're and Lilly and Bristol. You're pitching yeah. They highest bidder can have it. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And you know they're back there in their war room saying, Calculating. "What do you think they're going to do with yeah. it? They're going to, they're going to once they get it, a plaster." I love the way those two guys ate that pizza. Here's here's a serious question, though. To Meg's point, is this a drug stock story or is this a media stock story? Drug stock. Drug stock story, but as it affected them, I, I think much of this is in a dialogue that we sort of exacerbate, make it much bigger than it is. Eli Lilly is up 31 percent. Nothing seems to stop them. Pfizer's up 21 percent. Merck's up 26. I think that they'll be just fine. All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim. Yeah, I do like those airlines. Delta Airline, to me, best combination of valuation and margin. Chairwoman. I like that, too, but in the transports as well, I like FedEx. Oh. Bounce back a little, but still cheap. Grasso. Square pitched it last night. I don't have to go out of the box here. Square again. Ah, uh, I get that with the square. Very clever. Guy. That commercial was gold. I mean, we should just play it on a loop. Can we put it on our CNBC Fast we Money website and our Twitter account? Viacom. All right, that does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Well, options traders are betting on a bounce for one asset manager. Brian Stutland's joining us now from the CME in Chicago to break it down. Brian. Well, not BlackRock, but Blackstone. When we look at the put activity in there, it was pretty huge today. We're trading one and a half times that of calls in Blackstone. What's interesting is typically it's two times amount of calls versus puts, not puts being skewed the other way. So at first glance, it looks a little rough. But what we saw was a seller of 2,500 November 33 puts for 41 cents. They were selling insurance, not buying put insurance. And what that basically meant is the trader was picking a level that they're willing to get long the stock, basically break even at 32 59 capturing that 41 cents and with earnings coming up here on Thursday for Blackstone they're expecting about 40 percent year-over-year growth this trader is basically saying if the stock drops after earnings I'm willing to buy the stock down at that 33 dollar level and play possibly to the upside at least capture some premium here I love this trade if you want exposure to private equity Blackstone's that's that area to get that private equity exposure and I love this in this kind of growth environment that we're still seeing somewhat low interest rate environment seems like a nice play all right, Brian, thanks. Brian Stutland joining us from the CME in Chicago. For more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, check out shares of IBM sinking in the after-hour session. The company's CFO just said something very interesting about blockchain. We'll bring you those comments. Plus, a battle is brewing between Trump and Big Pharma as the White House puts pressure on the drug industry to change their TV ads. Could healthcare stocks be in trouble? We'll break it all down. Much more fast. Still ahead. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx.